0: He's a creator, an innovator. His passion is why we listen. His knowledge is why we want to be educated.
1: He really has spent his life focusing on people that make excuses. With a man who has turned around over
2: 800 bars throughout the world. Bar Rescue's John Taffer.
1: If you do tomorrow what you did today, you will get tomorrow what you got today. That's right. It's time. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast, and we're having a lot of fun this month. This has been a blast, Corey, going back and listening to all these interviews, hasn't
0: it? Yeah, it has.
1: So in the past year and a half, we've done about 79 interviews here Mm -hmm. on this podcast with some great athletes and comedians and celebrities of different types, business leaders, political leaders, uh, even healthcare leaders. So we've had all different types of people. And, you know, to end the year, I always want to be inspirational. And this podcast has meant a lot to me the past year and a half. And the fact that 3 million people download this really means a lot to me. So this is an exciting time. You know, Christmas is coming. New Year's is coming. I wanted to do something special. So in this week's podcast, I've pulled out my favorite interviews of sports celebrities who have been on the show. You know, sports is a powerful thing. I'm a pretty big sports fan. And those of you who know about me know that I'm one of the creators of NFL Sunday Ticket and was on the advisory board of NFL Enterprises. So, you know, I've touched sports and I've had a background in sports, not only playing the sports, but I've marketed sports. I've done sports bars and, and you know, I've come to, to be one who, who has figured out how to profit and monetize sports programming on television. And, you know, sports is an incredible thing because it's homogeneous. You know, if you live in New York... Whether you're black, white, tall, short, uh, uh, no matter where you're from, what your income level is, you can still love baseball. You can still love your local team. Sports connects us, unlike many, many other things in life that disconnect us. Politics is a great example today. But think about sports. Even those fair weather fans, you know, a team makes it to the World Series and suddenly they're the biggest fan of that team. And the next year, they're not a fan again. During that year, everybody has something to connect to. Sports does connect us all. And even those who aren't sports fans have moments where sports touches us all. Well, sports is tough. Life is tough. Finding inspiration when you're hurt is tough. Getting up when you're knocked down is tough. Being a good teammate is tough. Being a leader amongst your teammates is even tougher. Well, I wanted to pull out some great athletes and really revisit some of the great interviews. Now, this is not a clip show, so we're not going to do a short clip of this one and a short clip of that one. I really worked hard with Corey to go back into our our archives and pull out conversations that I really thought would make a difference to you at the end of the year. Think about all of the sayings and slogans and inspirational messages that we all get on social media these days. Fact of the matter is the most important thing that you can do is really short-term, not long-term. Sometimes people who plan too far ahead are so busy planning that they don't get anything done. Athletes have to work hard to be disciplined, but it all comes down to game day, what they do in a moment of the game, and that's your life. The fact of the matter is everything is about today. And what can you turn today into to pay off tomorrow? How do you make today have a payoff for tomorrow? Athletes do that every day with game day. They do that with the pressure of defeat, a dropped ball, an interception, a home run, a strikeout, you know, a a, three-pointer, a hat trick. No matter what sport it is, we all have these moments, but what I've learned the most from athletes that I know is how they can commit to the now, to this moment, and not allow any of the other noise of life interact or affect my ability to perform at this moment think about your own life for a moment do outside interference elements matters impact your today does it affect your attitude today are you less than you could have been today is today the day that you would have dropped the ball if it was thrown to you well professional athletes can't have those days when they do we scream and yell we boo at them they certainly know it So this was an important podcast to me. So before we get going, I want to give you a little update on a couple of things. Bar Rescue is coming back, Corey.
2: Yeah, I saw that in the spring, right? It is.
1: So we come back next year. I believe we relaunch season seven in February. But I leave in a couple of weeks. We start uh, uh, 28 episodes we're doing this year. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of TV, man. That's that's, uh, 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 28 hours of television. And the fun part is uh, 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 where we're going this year. So we're shooting in San Diego, Orange County, California, Phoenix, Scottsdale, Arizona area. We might even go up to Portland for a while and shoot some there. Maybe a few here in Las Vegas. And maybe even go out to Atlanta this year and shoot some bar rescues. But Atlanta's been pretty important to me, Corey. You know what's going on out in Atlanta, don't you? Yeah. Our very first Taffer Tavern is over. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, think about this, you know, in, in, exciting. It, it is exciting, but you always worry, are people going to accept the things that you do? And you worry, you know, is somebody going to like the recipe that I make? Is somebody going to like the decor package that I chose? Is somebody going to like the logo? Is somebody going to like the colors? Are they going to like the uniforms? Are they going to like the floor? Are they going to like the plate presentations? Are they going to like the music? Are they going to like the lighting levels and the hue of the lighting? There are so many subjective things at business that can drive you absolutely nuts, but you can't let it. So, again, we're back to the moment. In the moment is what really matters for me. When I do Bar Rescue, and I have now almost 10 years, Corey, the network always says to me, Taffer, you're great in the moment. That's why you're still on TV. Well, I think my mastery of the moment is what's helped me be successful and have this very podcast to this very day. So what are you doing with your moments? I wanted you to hear these interview clips and hear what these very special athletes had to say. It starts with a really good friend of mine, Johnny Greco. Johnny Greco is not an athlete. Johnny Greco is now the VP of entertainment for Madison Square Garden, believe it or not. He went over to the Knicks and the Rangers. But Johnny Greco was the VP of entertainment for the Golden Knights when they started here in Las Vegas. He's a master storyteller, and he's the person who makes the game even more exciting than the game would be on its own. Johnny is a master of manipulation. He's a master of entertainment, of energy, of pace, of the dynamic of a live event. And Johnny lives and dies by the moment. If he makes a plan, Corey, to do this in five minutes, if it doesn't feel right, he goes in a completely different direction. So living in the moment is what has made Johnny Greco and the Golden Knights so successful here in Las Vegas. I couldn't wait to get Johnny on this podcast. It took me, I think, two months to get him here, but boy, the things that he said and the lessons that I learned for Johnny were really, really powerful. Take a listen.
3: And the truth is, stories have been around forever. People told them around campfires, yeah. and 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 um, you know, there's fossils to to show this. Like people love stories, whether it's putting my kids to bed at night, telling them a story, or a song is a story. And you know, in the end, it's it's very basic. You have your beginning, your middle, and your end. When you write a film or do a TV show, reality TV is a little bit different, but you, you want to pull the people in. You want an emotional response, and you want to have an arc where people grow and learn. And, and yep. hopefully by the end, you feel something, right? I've learned something. I feel pain. I feel joy. Yep, you connect. You connect with people. That's, that's everything. So in the sporting world, it's really different because there's natural drama. Like you go to a sporting event and it goes to double overtime and you're 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 sweating, you're excited, you're cheering, your voice is gone. But but what we do on the production end is you come up with a script, you prepare a, a nice event, an experience for these people, and and a reactionary experience. You hope. Well, the minute the puck drops or the ball tips off or the first mm-hmm. pitch happens, most of it goes out the door. Like you 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 planned for this great experience, but if opening night, October tenth, we scored. Seventy five goals in that first period. It was unbelievable. Man. Like, you Three in five minutes, right? You, you could, yeah, you you can't write that. Like that's right. ridiculous. So so in that sense, sports was on our favor, but you can have some emotional uh this guy's retiring and you have a ceremony. It's gonna be this special night and your team gets, you know, destroyed, you know, ten nothing in a baseball game. It's like but, the energy's not there. So But, but
1: I was there. Yeah. I was there. October that night. ten. I sure was. Okay. I've been at about 35, 40 games. You you're, know that. You're I'm, an awesome I'm a fan, diehard team. I love yep. it. <laughs> and, and uh uh you wonder how much better you made the team that night. Mm. I, I think And I is- know you're not gonna take the credit and you're gonna resist this, but there's an energy before mm-hmm. they come out on the ice mm-hmm. that makes them invincible. Yeah.
3: For a brief moment, right? It
1: does. Yeah. It, it puts a suit of armor on them yeah. almost. It yeah. makes them bigger than life, skater faster, you mm-hmm. know, hit harder. All of that. Uh, 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 it's unbelievable. And, and you know, I really think, and I've been to hockey games all over the country yeah. and had Hawks fan, uh, season tickets when I lived in Chicago and Rangers great, in New York. Great hockey town. Absolutely. Yeah. A- a- and... There is something about T-Mobile Arena that's mm-hmm. really special. And you know, you start with telling a story about mm-hmm. the team on the mountaintop and them yeah. coming to Vegas. Absolutely. A- and it's 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 a really an exciting thing if nobody's been to a game. Let's talk about the WWE for a minute. So oh, you yeah. get out of college, you <laughs> go right into the Marlins. Yeah, right, sports. So, right yep. into film production, correct?
3: Yeah. yeah, sport. I mean, you call it sports production at that point, so it's a little less film, but you're making commercials, you're doing video skits, you're working with players, you're directing actors. Yeah, promos. Promos, all of These things and PSIs, um, things like that, too. All all of this, yep, Yep, absolutely. You're doing the community outreach and and you're you're working with cameras and like all the equipment you have in this awesome studio. Like, you've got all these toys to again help. Build the experience at these games. So um Florida Marlins, I got to work with Columbus Blue Jackets, I got to work with early wow. in their in their uh time in yeah. Columbus, which was really neat. Again, a non traditional hockey town, so I got some really good experience there. Then I got to work with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, Shh, which
1: was just in a great sports town. Great so sports you went town. from really a, a town that wasn't a proven sports town into mm-hmm. Cleveland, one of the best in the country.
3: Yeah. Big yeah. difference, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, it was it was different. I mean, Columbus, Ohio. You got Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus, yep, so yep. They know that sport really well, and they there was a whole separate group that was almost almost the anti Ohio State who just loved uh, um, the Blue Jackets, which was cool. But going up to Cleveland, this this blue collar, hardworking city with some of the finest people in the world, and but they haven't really won a lot. They got really close for fifty years, yep. but they haven't really won a lot. And then um, being a part of that transition, that LeBron. Came and again, he was the, the this incredible athlete, this philanthropic guy who's giving back to his community. Yeah, bigger He's than th- life, bigger than life. Just an incredible performer. And so, being around that level of greatness, you know, even even a little sense, you know, for what we did, it was so much fun to collaborate with a guy like so, that.
1: So you got to see the Cabs before and after.
3: Yeah, I, I got. So there you his, saw
1: the spark happen. I, it was unbelievable.
3: I got there his second year. And I stayed there until he left first to go to Miami. So they had gotten to the finals. It was incredible. The city was on fire. But but then he left before they won anything. I had an incredible amount of insanely talented friends and, uh, that are still there. Well, then he comes back. I had left for WWE. I, I don't sit still very well. The NBA was mm-hmm. going on a strike or lockout. I went to WWE, which was an incredible experience. But... Um, all my friends stayed. He comes back. Every the city again is on fire. They're so excited, and and he, he brings them a title. And yeah. and man, I mean, I, I was. How crying. you think they're feeling now? Uh, they've been through it before. Yeah, you got to be grateful for what you had. Right. Um. You know, and and the true fans, you stick around. You do the best you can. I mean, that's a world class organization, with or without LeBron. Obviously, yeah. he brings in hundreds of millions of dollars just to the to the food and beverage industry, hotel, sure. hospitality. Sure. You know, people are coming from all over the world.
1: But the Cavs were a successful team before him.
3: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I and mean, in the '90s after. they were incredible, and, and they will be. If you're, it's all about leadership, right? Yeah. If leadership is driven and focused and yeah. has strategy, like anything can be successful in any business.
1: So you go from baseball, yep, baseball, into basketball,
3: base, baseball to hockey to basketball, to basketball.
1: Now you're in wrestling. Woo! <laughs> See now you could, now you got a story to tell because oh, a man. lot of
3: wrestling is so character driven. It's, it's all that, John. You 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 couldn't. It it is it is the Just epitome of storytelling. Every single moment, every single element, every match, every hold, every body slam, every promo when they get on the microphone and start yelling at the crowd, every single thing is a story. There's a reason behind why the character would turn his back. There's a reason behind why a, a character would say a certain thing to a crowd. It, it is unbelievable. The kind of team. And they true they're true to character. True it, to character. It's it's unbelievable to be there. I learned so much. And that's just that's this insane fraternity of storytellers, creatives. They, and they do it all over the world. Yeah. So so you may do it in Newark. And then you may go to Mexico City and then you may go to Tokyo and then you may go to Cape Town South. It's it's your and, and all they're doing is telling stories, captivating, compelling stories, which transcends language yeah. with especially with the physicality of what they do. Um, and it, it's incredible how we would cultivate a story in all these different cities for all these fans. And they're so good philanthropically. And again, yeah. I, I, I watched the uh, Puerto Rico episode. Um, my think- God, that's. That's bigger than a TV show. Oh, thank that's you. I mean that's it's I great saw we you can were do that stuff, John. It's yeah. the best, and and you know we entertain, and and I always you talk about like brain surgeons, and oh they're saving lives, they're saving lives. We don't save lives, but you know there's a moment where you can enhance a life, and you bet. and you go back to October 10th where the city was in tough shape, and and it was it was a, a catastrophic moment, and, and and for three hours sports transcended. And gave everyone this this allowance to, to be unified. Well, that's a
1: powerful word, allowance. It, it,
3: it, well, and even, it allowed us and, to. It allowed you to. And this is where the sports gods were with us because – Even as we kind of did the initial ceremony, which we thought a lot about, we spent so much time and we didn't have a lot of time to do. But we just we just wanted to kind of put this thing together the right way for the city. It wasn't about hockey. It wasn't about us. It was all about Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. This is an 18,000 person group hug moment that they didn't have before they had a professional sports. I want
0: to
1: set the stage for this for the audience. So so the massacre happens in Las Vegas. Those who live here, uh, this is a city of hospitality. We have no other industries. We're all about hospitality and hosting people. And when it happened to those of us who live here, it was like it happened in our living room with our own guests. It was devastating. The Las Vegas Golden Knights, before they even played their first game, put on their jerseys, went all over the city. People didn't even know what the heck the logo was. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't even know what the Golden Knights was at the time. They went out there, toured the whole city. i made a few stops myself Mm -hmm. at the time, of course, in the hospitals and such. And, uh, 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 Connected with the city in a way that I think empowered each of them in a very special way. It became more about hockey to them long before Mm -hmm. they got on the ice Mm -hmm. at T-Mobile. The city was devastated. There were people still in hospitals, people crying. I cannot express to you the the depth of depression that was in the city of Las Vegas and anger. And we go to T-Mobile for the first home game, for the first hockey team in a brand-new arena with a brand-new team with brand-new players, and we're supposed to be happy. And there are people in the hospital, and we almost feel guilty going. We almost felt guilty. I mean, how do you cheer? How do you get excited? How do you have a good time after that? So we go to T-Mobile, and we put ourselves in the hands of Johnny Greco and his team.
3: It, it was and
1: what happened was truly remarkable. Tell the story of how you got there. How did you guys put that together so quickly and, and so well? What Johnny did is he brought out first responders, yeah. did a very special ceremony with first responders and players. you got to remember, half the fans didn't even know the players yet. No, it didn't matter that it night. It didn't matter that night. Uh, uh, we had a, a, a very respectful, very powerful moment. There was not one person in that arena who was not hysterical crying, not mm-hmm. one. The hockey game starts, they drop the puck. In the first five minutes, we score three goals and we all went from crying to jumping up and down in a matter of minutes. And Johnny, it was because you somehow, through the storytelling, the production, lights, speakers, technology, costumes, fog, through technology, you were able to let us allow ourselves. How did you come up with that? And did you know that's what you were doing at the time?
3: There's a lot of people involved in that night, uh, and bet. you you know how these these events and productions come along. So I, um, I was I was one small part of an incredible.
1: But did you use the word allowance? Was it was it actually a conscious thought that we have to get this out of the way before we play hockey? Is there,
3: yeah, what we what we knew we needed to do, um, and it was weird because obviously the it happens October one, and you're just instantly for us you know, uh, so, so, uh, September we're, we're just trying to get ready for October 10th. We We're trying to, right. we have a plan in place for a few months. We're rehearsing. We're trying to get ready to, to release this team and, and let the city be proud of something. And this is yours, Vegas. This is all about this incredible city. We want to give you something to cheer. We don't know how good the team's going to be, but what we can control, cause we can't score the goals. We can't yep. make the saves. We can try to make it a party. We can try to make it a good time for you guys to come and be proud of something. And if the hockey works out, Hey, that's fantastic. Um, and you got lucky as hell oh, hockey it's it's okay to be better to be lucky than good and um that <laughs> night that there were there were hockey gods involved that night but but we yeah, instantly. You know, October second, we're like, okay, everything we had planned has to change. This is now all about Las Vegas. This is about healing Las Vegas. So it was a festival type of an opening, a party, and then it turned into more of a solemn. Yeah, we we were we were super lucky. We we got to work with locals, uh, Imagine Dragons, and yep. they allowed us to use a track of theirs that just completely depicts what that felt like, called Warriors. Yep. yep. Um, I invite everyone to we listeners. are the warriors it's amazing I can and it picture talks the video building this town and um every time I see that video, I cry still um, and we were two days after this shooting we were we were doing video shooting with guys who had bullet holes in their necks yeah. standing there strong and proud saying, "I am Vegas strong and so we had to put our producing caps on and we in a way weren't allowed to feel like we couldn't go through this cathartic need that everybody had. So we were, we were just trying to create this incredible video, which we were really proud of to celebrate and have a, not a somber night. It there was a lot of sadness and it, and there should have been, and we understand, but it was time to be a little more ceremonial memorialize and celebrate the strength of the community, celebrate the strength of this town, its first responders, all of the heroes that were here. So when we were talking about traditionally for an opening night, you introduce every single player on the team. Mm -hmm. Hey, Vegas, here's your team. Some people introducing them for the first time. We said, no, no, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to bring out Marc-Andre Fleury. We're going to bring out private staff sergeant or ER nurse, you know, Beverly McClintock escorted by Mark. So we made them the hero. They they made themselves the heroes. But that night we made sure to celebrate Vegas's heroes as heroes, as they deserved. And it was ceremonious and it was beautiful and it was uplifting. And the city just got behind it. It was all about them. We just, it was objective in our eyes as far as how we had to handle that. Um, But, but again, we
1: we walked in guilty. Absolutely. And sad. Absolutely. Why am I
3: celebrating this? Why am I having a good time? And we walked
1: out, happy and proud. Yeah.
3: Hockey gods help though. <laughs> like, yes. so we did oh, we yes. did that pre-game ceremony. The game starts and you're just like if we lose like five nothing this is not going to be great. I said if we win one game this season for this city, please make, make it, be it be that tonight one. and boy was it. It was unbelievable. And and so the moment so even during that ceremony I, I was talking about this recently it felt like we can't party. We can't we can't have a because you're still thinking about what happened. And really the truth is if you had any apprehension of like standing up and dancing and having a good time, there is nothing that will make you go crazy like a goal. goal in that hockey. goal horn eh. goes off and it's so loud and the place is shaking and the oh, song yeah. is wrong It's like even if you had some trepidation to like having fun at this point, which I would understand if you did, you can't not go crazy when a goal scores. And then they like you said
1: three. I got a red light in my house. <laughs> Hooked up on the internet, and every time the Knights score a goal anywhere in the country, eh, the light goes off and it rings. It scares the hell out of me. <laughs> but that, that's how exciting that sound it's is. It's nothing like it. Imagine that. Imagine being responsible for launching a brand new sports team in a brand new arena in a brand new city a week after a massacre that 500 people got shot. Wow. That's what Johnny had to deal with, the pressure of an entire city's pain and struggling, but he did it. He did it a moment at a time by making people feel that they could celebrate. And when I went to Knights games, I'll never forget what happened that year. In the beginning, there was a couple minutes of mourning at every game so that people could get the feeling bad out of them and then they could start feeling good after hockey. Johnny knew how to master that because Johnny knew how to master the moment. We'll be right back.
3: Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back.
1: Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the events and even bet all the games till the final whistle. And new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. So why would you choose BetDSI? First of all, it's been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. It is a really friendly interface it's got a very cool mobile site and most important it's got the fastest payouts in the industry so betdsi offers options for everything you can bet on nfl nba nhl boxing and all other major sports politics reality tv esports virtually everything so try betting at betdsi where you can bet on games from start to finish every play Every minute until the end. And remember, new members get a 100% bonus match using promo code TAFER101. That's double your money to start winning today. Again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TAFER101 to get this limited time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash. Guys, it's only a game to you bet at BetDSI. So we've got a new technology that allows you to communicate directly with the show, and you can do that at anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no-excuses. I'm gonna give it to you again because it's really cool to interact with the show using it. It's anchor.fm slash john-taffer-no dash excuses. And if that's too complicated for you, which I know it is for some of you, (laughs) then you can just send the note to podcast at johntaffer.com. That's podcast at johntaffer.com. Either way, guys, make sure you reach out to me because I'd love to hear from you. This is No Excuses. You know, some people say poker is sports. Some people argue poker is not sports. Let me tell you something. Poker is sports. It has strategy. It is tactics. You can be aggressive. You can be defensive. You can play the odds, the statistics. There is some talent involved. Of course, there's poker faces and body language and all sorts of other things that you need to know. You almost need to read the play of the other player, just like a defensive football player tries to read the play of the offense that he's playing against. Well, a good friend of mine, Daniel Negreanu, is one of the greatest poker players in the world. And, man, I learned so much about poker from Daniel. But more importantly than that, poker is also of the moment. What is the body language of the people around me? What is going on at this moment? Because what happened in the last hand doesn't matter, and what's going to happen in the next hand doesn't matter right now. It's all about this moment. Daniel in the gray new knows how to manage the moment right down to his facial expressions, his body language, how he manipulates the environment, tries to control the room. He's a master of the moment. And when I had Daniel come out and do an amazing interview, I learned so much about the start of his life, the chances that he took and how he learned how to master the moment. And Daniel was was a not only became a great friend, but this was a powerful interview. And I got to tell you a little inside story, Corey.
0: Yeah, what's what you got?
1: After spending that interview with Daniel that day, yeah, I went to a poker tournament two days later uh-huh. and won thousands of dollars uh-huh. just listening to one of his strategies. Wow! All because Daniel has learned how to master the moment. So again, let's give a listen to Daniel.
0: You know, I was always a competitive person, and being like, well. Skinny and short didn't leave me a lot of options to play in the NBA or the NHL. So <laughs> poker was luckily enough a game for me where that wasn't a, you know, a negative. <laughs> it, it, it just it was all about brain power. and I, I, you know, I was drawn to it very early.
1: So you're really into gambling. And so you started playing in competitive environments, a lot of charity events and stuff. And then as I understand it, your bankroll grew. You were one credit away from finishing high school. And you literally packed your bags and went to Vegas. Is that true?
0: Yeah, it might have been more like three or four credits. We're not exactly sure. <laughs> I haven't seen my high school report in quite a while. But uh, yeah, essentially, you know, I, I started out as a pool player and then I was introduced to poker. And, uh, you know, we were, what we're, we were playing in these charity casinos in Toronto that were rampant all over the, over the city. And I started to play Monday to Friday, noon to 8, like almost like a real job. And at the time, I was about a 17, 18-year-old or so, I was making about $45 an hour and uh, felt like you know, this was going to be what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And school just kind of, at the time, kind of got in the way. So awesome. I left school, didn't even finish because I didn't see the, you know, the need at the time. And, uh, you know, then I made my first trip to Vegas and it was an eye opener.
1: Wow. So, so you go to Vegas and now you're playing it with a whole different league of play. I want my listeners to understand that you knew what you wanted to do at a young age. This was your passion. If you closed your eyes when you were 12 years old and pictured your future, would this be it?
0: Well, when I was 12 years old, I was like, I thought, you know, acting, writing, something in like the film world would be where I was at. Um, and then my life took a turn you know in another way, and I found poker, which satisfied my competitive urges in a real big way. And I sort of became a big fish in a small pond of Toronto where I was one of the best players here. And quickly I learned that, you know, in Vegas, the locals there—they've seen a lot of hometown heroes come and go, you know, at the time. And uh, for a lot of them, I was just another hometown hero. Um, and it was certainly like a different caliber of play. It's like trying to hit in the—you know—if you play a minor league baseball and you're, you're hitting, you know, 30 home runs against slower pitching, but all of a sudden they're throwing the ball 10, 15 miles faster, uh, and all of a sudden you—you know—you and their curveballs are sharper, and the, their placement is better, and you're like, "Hey, wait a minute, you know, this isn't as easy as I would have thought." So. It was definitely humbling my first couple trips to Vegas.
1: Now, I know this stuff has been published and I normally wouldn't ask somebody a question like this, but I know it's been published and I'd like my audience to understand the magnitude of your ability in poker. Would you tell us approximately what your lifetime winnings are in poker?
0: So, in tournaments themselves, it's about $40 million. That doesn't include cash games or anything like that. It also doesn't you know, who, So, it's been tournaments, which is all that, that really is recorded. It's about $40 million, And I've been... Number one on that list for most of my career. Just recently, uh, a kid named Justin Bonomo passed me, winning a big event. But uh, So now I sit at number two. And uh, well, I'm you know, certainly happy with the career that I've had.
1: Yeah, you should be, buddy. So you moved to Vegas. Now you start playing in the big games. Did you start winning right away? Did you have any rude awakenings? Did you have any second thoughts? Because now you're packed up. You go to, to Vegas. You're sitting there as the hometown hero. You're playing with the other guys who are thinking they can chew you up. What was that experience like then?
0: Oh, I did not win early. So I went there with about three thousand, thirty-five hundred dollars
2: 3500
0: And about 24 hours later, I was in Las Vegas for the very first time watching people play poker because my bankroll was gone. Um, I remember it vividly, you know, um, it was a different animal playing against players that pushed back in, in Toronto. I was kind of a bull and I ran people over. Well, these guys, they knew how to defend against that. So I remember the very first time when I realized I was a sucker was a time where it was about 4 a.m. and I, you know, lost my last chips. I went to the bathroom, washed my hands, walked out, and the seven players I was playing with had all left immediately. So I realized in that moment, like, oh, my goodness. Like, they were playing because of me. They, wow. I was a sucker in the game. And I remember that being like a very motivating moment in my life where I was like, I wanted revenge on every one of them. And I knew that in order to do that, I was going to have to go back to Toronto, rebuild my bankroll and improve and continue to learn and, and get better.
1: Where did the name kid poker come from, which is your name online. And, and you're really known as kid poker in the poker world. How did that name come up?
0: It really, Yeah, it started. I mean, as a teenager, I was playing with guys that were 40, 50, you know, there were no young players when I, you know, today there's a whole bunch of young players who are, you know, very, very skilled. But in my time, You know, being a 22-year-old, there was no other 22-year-olds around. So I was a kid. You know, I was a young kid who was better than he was supposed to be, and kid poker kind of stuck.
1: I watch you play poker, and I watch you slide a half a million dollars onto that table. And, of course, when we watch you on television, we see what hand you have. So we know if you're bluffing. We know if you're losing. We know if you're winning. And I watch the look on your face, and not one muscle moves when you slide that half a million dollars out on the table. Was that natural for you? Do you concentrate on not moving your muscles and keeping that poker face? Because obviously you're the best at it. Uh, is that, did that come well, natural you know to what? you? Or, or are you thinking about, don't move now, don't touch my chips now, don't look that way, don't look that way? Is it conscious?
0: You know, to be honest, like I feel like compared to some other poker players, I'm a lot more expressive than they are because I'm very comfortable in my skin. And um, Obviously, you know, when you're betting big amounts like that, you don't think of, okay, I'm betting half a million dollars. This could buy a house. This could buy a car. If you're thinking like that, you are already sort of, you know, lost the strategical battle because you need to be able to just be free and comfortable. And part of being comfortable, um, you know, is disassociating yourself from the money and the stakes. When you do that, then you can be more stoic and you're not giving off as much and you don't move a muscle. You know, if you're, if you know that you just put the last bit of money in your, in, in, in your pocket and you put it all on the table and you're, it's in the middle and you're bluffing. It's much more difficult for you to keep it together and not give it away and show the stress that's on your face, your neck, your eyes, you know, your arms, everywhere.
1: Hey, you told me something amazing a few weeks ago when we were together. How You told me that when you watch a poker player, and our, our friends that are listening that play poker will do this. When I get my cards, if my eyes go to the chips next, you know I have a good hand because I went right to looking at how much to bet but yet you told me if my eyes look at the cards first rather than the chips first, it's likely that I'm assessing the hand and haven't decided to bet. Is that true?
0: Yeah. So there's one, there's a lot of subconscious things that, you know, that we do as humans that we don't even realize we're doing. And with a lot of beginning players or, you know, newer players, one of the ones we're discuss- discussing is called like the chip glands. Tell. And essentially what it is, is in holding, you get two cards, three cards come out on the board and that's called the flop. Now, when a player likes what they see on the flop, their brain is telling them the next thing you need to do is bet chips. So once they have that thought, the eyes often will just take a quick glance at what they're about to do next. And when you spot that, that's a sign that they like what they saw. Now, that same player, if they stare at the flop, look at their cards, look at the board, and don't do the chip glance, the thought of them betting hasn't occurred to them because they don't have a very good hand. They haven't connected with that board. So a lot of times I could play with beginners and not even look at my cards. But just watch, the op- watch my opponents look at their cards and look at the board, and I know when I can bluff and take the pots from them, and I know when I should just fold my hand.
1: You're just like an entrepreneur if you think about it. The cards on the table is the market conditions. Your hand is your product quality. And now you're going to position your hand in that marketplace to either achieve a bluff, cause them to bet more, but it's very entrepreneurial at that poker game. Right, if the market conditions are, are solid, you can win with a terrible hand. If the market conditions yeah. aren't favorable, you could lose with a medi- with a decent mediocre hand, you know, a pair of eights or whatever that might be. It's fascinating the similarities of what you do in a poker hand with an entrepreneur. Dan, you know what's amazing Peter. to me, but is is that you came here, you got defeated, you went home, and it didn't shake you. Your goal still stayed intact. You went home and you still wanted to be a poker player. You went back to Toronto, played again, did well there, got your money back, and then came back to Vegas a second time to launch yourself. The second trip, what was different in your head?
0: Yeah, well, before I get there, you know, the thing about the entrepreneur thing is very, very relevant because I think it's super important for people to, what they are going to be a professional poker player, to treat it like a business. Like you are the product, you are like the business. And that means making sure that, you know, you're sleeping well, doing everything you can, um, to, you know, be prepared and and leading into the second trip to Las Vegas. I mean, I went in knowing that, you know, last time I got my butt kicked and that it was important for me not to just walk in there with this attitude that I know everything and everybody around me is clueless. And, you know, I knew the second time going in that I had to show some respect to some of these players. And rather than just expect myself to be a bull in a China shop where I could knock everybody around, I have to have some texture to my game and, you know, build what's called a table image you know, that's you're more difficult to read, a little more, you know, relaxed, if you will. And uh, so the second time I went in a lot fresher, and a lot more prepared. I think the first time it was, like, it was like any kind of kid, you know, like imagine a kid in sport who was playing his very first game. You know, he's going to have an extra little bit of adrenaline. He's going to try to do too much sometimes, and that could backfire. And I feel like my first trip was certainly that. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the best. Let's go. And then the realization going into the second time is, hold on, you've got a lot to learn. A lot of these guys have been doing this for 20, 30 years. This is the best of the best you're playing against. So be in humility. You know, focus on doing, playing your best and really doing your best. And, uh, and it worked out a little bit better on the second trip. You know, it took, still took me a few more trips before I really figured it out.
1: Well, Daniel Negreanu knows how to win a poker game even when he doesn't have a royal flush because he knows how to work the moment. He knows how to work your weaknesses, work your strengths. It's no different than life. If you master this moment and you get everything out of it, the next moment is set. The next card becomes even more powerful because you set up the last one better. Daniel understands that. Daniel understood the power of the moment, and so does Lights Out. Sean Merriman (laughs) took football to a whole new level with Lights Out, with an image of toughness and aggressiveness. Sean also knows how to master the moment, he hurt, he was aggressive, he was being tackled, he was being insulted, the press was beating the hell out of him, fans were beating the hell out of him, coaches are on his back. All of it didn't matter because at the end of the day, Sean focused on the moment and made those moments great. Do you do that? Do you really focus on saying to yourself, you know what, I got an hour, I'm here for an hour, how do I make this hour the most powerful? How do I make my moments really count? The fact of the matter is those moments become everything, and a bunch of moments become a day, and a bunch more become a week, and a bunch more become your life. Sean is another master of the moment who knew how to put aside the noise, put aside the pain, put aside the pressure, and create great moments. And man, did he do it. Take a listen. So when you were 15, what did you want to be?
2: You know, it's funny, I was, uh, I, I started off playing basketball first, but I was so damn aggressive that I would file out of games. Ah. And uh, my coaches and everybody around me, around me said, you know, this this might not be the sport for you. You know, I still <laughs> play but that really kind of got me into football. I said, man, if you're this aggressive on a basketball field, what can you do on a football field? Yeah. So when I think when I was 10 or 11 years old I tried out in football and I was like, hold on, I can I can do this to people and I can't go to jail or get in trouble. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so it was uh, it was one of the things that just just worked out in my favor. Um, you know, I had a very tough upbringing. Um I grew up in PG County, Maryland. And we were uh, left homeless a few times, Jeez. and um, you know, it was it was my way of being able to let out aggression. You know, I was able to go out there for a couple hours in a practice or a game, and really just uh, release from everything else I was dealing with in my life as a kid. And I just fell in love with the sport. It was a, it was just a natural, uh, you know, a, a, a thing for to happen with me, and I just loved it.
1: Yeah, you love winning, don't you, buddy?
2: It's number one, it, almost to a fault. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's one of these things that, uh, you know, I got a nine-year-old son now, Justin, and I try to tell him that, you know, just go out and have fun and it's about the fun of the game and just play your hardest and I'm happy. But, you know, my heart, I'm like, you better go out there and win some win some games. Uh, it? But it's, it's, it's one of those things, man. I just, I love com- uh, competition, uh, even though I'm not, you know, competing anymore on the field. Everything with me off the field is a competition.
1: Do you find when you look at children today and little leagues and football, you know, everybody gets an award. They don't keep score on some of these games now. So, you know, everybody's a winner. There's no losers. Do you think that you would have become lights out if you were raised that way?
2: No. Um, And truth be told, I think they uh, set these kids up for failure. Me too. Um, Because life isn't that way. That's right. And um, I, I, I get where they what they're trying to do. Uh, but if you are giving the same trophy fee, tr- same trophy and the same award um, for everyone that's not putting in the same effort, mm-hmm. uh, I think that you're you know, setting the kid down the wrong path. And, you know, I might be a little bit of old school thinking that way. But. Um, But you're setting the kid up thinking that if you can give minimum effort, I'm still going to get something. And life isn't set set up that way.
1: No, I agree. And a magic word, I think, of what you just said was effort. And when when I was younger, my my daughter was younger, I used to coach their sports teams. And I always found it surprising that somebody put forth the effort. You know, they dove into that bag. I mean, they risked their bodily harm. But then the next kid didn't try, didn't push themselves, but they almost got the same recognition. So when you were young – and growing up in difficult situations, you developed, I'm guessing, a spine that taught you to stick up for
2: yourself. Yeah, there's, you know, honestly, there you look back at all the stuff you were going, I was going through when I was a kid and you're like, man, why is this stuff happening to me? Why do I have to deal with this at, a, at such a young age? And so many kids, you know, got it a lot easier um, but I look back on it now and you know, I was really just getting prepared for what I have to deal with now and, and why I'm so successful mm-hmm. um, and other things, because, you know, things get tough. You know, mm-hmm. everything's not going to go your way and you're going to have some very bad days and you got to find a way to why, win j- just that day. And, uh, you know, that helped me develop that character and that thick skin when I was younger. And, and now I'm appreciative of it because if I didn't have that, you know, I would have quit. Uh, and so many things I've done in my life, that um, if that didn't happen.
1: Yeah. So how good do you feel about yourself that you get to insulate your child from all of what you went through when you were young? How
2: cool is it, that? It's, it's so cool. Um, you know, I, I look back at my son plays, uh, football and hockey and, uh, anybody who know anything about hockey, it is the, the most game. expensive sport, Yeah. uh, to, to play. And they got the travel teams and every year he needs to do skates, new equipment. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, you know, if I was a kid, I, if, no way in the world I would be able to buy skates every year. Are you kidding me? We would never have got a chance to play hockey. So, uh, but, you know, I have a great kid. Um, he, he really works hard. And, um, you know, he he's uh, he's not, a, you know, it's funny. He's not spoiled. Um, he's very thankful for everything. Very grateful. And, um, you know, so that's why I don't I don't feel bad doing it.
1: Yeah. So so, uh, he's a hockey player, which I think is the toughest sport to play when you just look at physical endurance and and beating up on your body. So it's fun to hear an ex-NFL player, you know, talk about the hockey. I'm a hockey nut and here in Las Vegas. We're just hockey crazy here with the Golden Knights and, and, you know, the the as a new franchise and the success we've had. So when you were young and you were drafted. I want you to go back to that moment for a moment. So you're a young kid. You grew up tough. You were a fighter. You became lights out in high school. You were also a basketball player. Suddenly you're drafted in the NFL. Tell me about that night when you went home.
2: Um, You know, so I, I was back home in uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, where I grew up. And uh, I rented this uh, nice mansion for uh, back in Maryland, not too far, uh, where I went to high school at uh, Frederick Douglass High School and ended up in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. Had it about 20,000 square feet or somewhere close to it. Uh, I invited all my high school coaches, my friends, family, teammates. I mean, everybody was there. And, um, you know, it's funny. I, I actually thought I was going to be a Dallas Cowboy. I took a visit to the Cowboys before. Uh, before I went over and took a visit with uh, with the Chargers at the time. And the Cowboys told me that they were going to draft me. So uh, most of my family and friends had Cowboy hats and jerseys. And, no. the <laughs> and uh, you know, we're sitting in there and they had the 11th pickup, the Dallas Cowboys, and they, they didn't make a mistake with, uh, you know, probably the you know the, uh, soon-to-be Hall of Famer and DeMarcus Ware. Um, but Marty Schottenheimer, I'll never forget Marty Schottenheimer, the head coach of the Chargers at the time, he uh, – I got this call. I think it was a uh, it was an A 858, uh, uh San Diego area code and I looked and Marty Schadheim was on the phone. He said, uh Sean, are you ready to be a uh, Ben then San Diego Charger? And um I said, Yeah, are you guys ready to draft me or what? I'm kind of, I'm ready to go. And uh he said, All right, well we're drafting you with this next next pick. We'll see you soon. Hung up the phone and my family was just kind of going crazy. Were you ready
1: watching to-
2: it on TV? It was on TV, yeah. it was on ESPN. And I was sitting there and uh, said, yeah, with the 12th pick of the 2005 NFL Draft, the San Diego Chargers select Sean Merriman. And, and you know, I, my hair raised up on my arms. And I'm like, my face got really, really hot. My ears got a burning itching. I was so like out of it. It didn't feel real. Um, and then my family and friends, people in crying and stuff. And I just remember that day, everything changed. Um, how I grew up and. You know, I went to University of Maryland and went there three years and just everything changed that day. And I'll never forget that. It's
1: fascinating how overnight and not a lot of businesses are that way, how overnight that happens. So you go back, you're happy, but aren't you also a little scared, a little apprehensive? I mean, you're going into the NFL. This is the real deal here. Now, these are some tough coaches, some tough guys. Did you have moments of fear or or or, or, or anticipation
2: um, no, I was I was ready to go. The only fear that I, that I think I had a little bit is I'd never lived out the state. Mm. Um, Actually, my first time to California in general ever was when I took my trip to go visit the charges before the draft. Wow. And um, I I'll never forget. I've never seen palm trees in person. Right. So uh, we were. Uh, I know uh, flying over the the water in San Diego and I looked down, I saw palm trees and I only seen it on TV at the time. And I said, man, this is where I'm, this is where I got drafted with the 12th pick. Normally if you go that high in a draft, you go to a really bad team. (laughs) right?" Uh, and they went to twelve and four a year before I got there, so I'm walking into a uh, to a really good team early in the draft. Beautiful place. And, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't have been more excited.
1: Yeah, that's pretty damn exciting. So, so uh, what I find interesting about your career is you have had some tough luck, yeah, With some injuries. Right, you got involved in a a BS scandal, <laughs> if you will. You're almost set up to how do you deal with those tough moments when you were injured for example you know you, you had an yeah. achilles issue and stuff how do you keep yourself motivated trun because you have been on top and then you've had unfair things happen to you that knocked you off that pedestal how did you deal with those moments
2: you know just one of the things we talked about before right um with my upbringing and what i had to go through uh when you're when you're homeless you don't have a place to go and, you, you know, you come home from practice and you don't know if you got food in the fridge, if you're going to eat that night or not. Um, nothing can happen to you worse than that. Mm. Right. I mean, I was suspended in 2006. I think yep. the BS scandal you're talking about uh, was in 2009 or something or eight or whatever it was. Yeah, tequila. Yep. Um, yeah, that that whole thing. So, you know, when you when you've been through the uh, those times, nothing can be worse than that. I don't I don't, I don't care what you go through. Uh, if you're living and you're breathing, the, the worst thing that, that can happen to you is you're homeless and not knowing what's going to happen to you, not mm-hmm. knowing what's going to happen the next day. Uh, so when you built when you build with that tough skin and you had to work up from there, you can deal with everything else. Um, and I, through it all, I just stayed positive. Um, I, I believe, you know, I, I stayed focused. I stayed, uh, you know, I'm pretty religious. I, I stayed believing in all the things I needed to believe in. And uh, it, I never let it sidetrack side me. I just didn't. Um, I always figured that, Uh, you're going to go through some things, but you got to come out on top. You know, um, tough times don't last, and tough people do.
1: Man, that's why I got the name Lights Out. Pretty incredible. So when I think about this podcast, think about what we've heard. You know, Johnny Greco, think of how scary that was when he started and launched the Golden Knights after the Las Vegas massacre, how he focused on the moment and the way people felt each moment of the time they were there, how he learned to master the moment without even realizing that's what he was doing. And then Daniel Negreanu, who was a poker player, if I said to him, Daniel, you're all about the moment, he wouldn't have necessarily understood what I meant. But the fact of the matter is, it's all about the moment for him and how to put aside the noise and the pressure and the bluffs and the fans and the cameras and all of that and focus on making that moment count. And then you look at Sean, Lights Out, and man, another completely different story. But at the end of the day, all three of them Learn how to make the moment work. You know, Christmas is coming up very, very soon. New Year's going to be upon us before we know it. Next year on January 2nd, start your moments. Assuming you're going to party on the first. It starts your moments. You can make those moments more meaningful or not. You can make your days more meaningful or not. The whole purpose of this series of podcasts was my hope to touch you in some way to have you make these moments better, whether they're family moments, whether they're professional moments, or whether they're personal moments. These moments matter. These moments are what make up your life. Sean has proven that to me. Daniel Negreanu has proven that to me. Johnny Greco has proven that to me. Honestly, I've proven it to myself. Think about your moments, and think about who you can make more powerful moments really affect your life just like they did, and just like I did. And I'll talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. And don't forget subscribe right now. Do it right now, any place where you subscribe to your podcasts.